Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Economist. In London, this is The Economist, with tasting menu, an enticing selection from this week's coverage. I'm Anne McElvoy, and I lead Economist Radio. On our menu this week, China's disgruntled police, a corruption crackdown in South Korea, and an existential trip into the Amazon. But first, the debasing of American politics was our cover line this week. As Donald Trump continues to sling vitriolic mud in the race for the presidency, he's dragging the system through it too. Healthy democracies depend on unwritten rules, and he's been stomping all over them in America, our cover leader argued. By normalising attitudes that before he came along were publicly taboo, Mr Trump has taken a knuckle-duster to American political culture. His lewd comments about women made long before he was running for president were unsettling enough. More worrying still has been the insistence by many Trump supporters that his behaviour was normal. So too his threat, issued in the second presidential debate, to have Hillary Clinton thrown into jail if he wins. In a more fragile democracy, that sort of talk would foreshadow post-election violence. Riots are thankfully unlikely in America, we explained. But the reasons have less to do with the state's power to enforce the letter of the law than with the unwritten rules that American democracy thrives on. It is these that Mr Trump is trampling over and which Americans need to defend. His reality TV persona makes his wild propositions seem less alarming. It creates an ambiguity about how serious he is and how seriously his audience needs to take him. With each outrage, he has an iota of plausible deniability. He's just being Trump. Yet his pernicious remarks are sullying America's political system. Healthy politics is not gang warfare. It requires the insight that your opponent can be honourable and principled, however strongly you disagree. The 2016 election campaign has poured scorn on such ideas. All Americans are worse off as a result. Our briefing this week delves deeper into the reasons behind the debasement of America's politics, so do pick up a copy and read it, and all of our coverage indeed leading up to the election. As we deplored Mr Trump's disregard for unwritten rules, in our Asia section we reported on one country's corporate culture treading a fine line between hospitality and bribery. A new law in South Korea is clamping down on officials accepting gifts, as the article explained. A journalist, a public servant and a beggar walk into a bar, runs a South Korean joke. Who ends up paying for the drinks? I'm sure it's not the journalist. The beggar. The quip illustrates the expectations surrounding Jopdar, a widespread form of business entertainment in South Korea, in which firms lavish generous hospitality not only on clients but also on reporters and public officials. And we all know there's no such thing as a really free lunch. Last year, 591,000 companies spent 10 trillion won, that's $9 billion, 
on entertainment, according to the National Tax Service. But the authorities are wary that the distinction between corporate courtesy and bribery can become hazy, especially over boozy lunches. Now the government wants to put a stop to Jopdar. Last month, it introduced strict new limits on the favours and benefits that can be asked for or given to 4 million public officials, teachers and journalists. And the new law is revolutionising the country's corporate culture. Officials and journalists are being encouraged to go Dutch on bills, hitherto a cultural no-no. The indignity of it. Restaurants have devised special menus that squeak under the new spending limit. Lawyers are advising companies to exercise extreme caution until prosecutors set a few precedents. No one wants to be a test case. With South Korea's officials no doubt grumbling over their lack of lavish lunches, we take a trip over to China, where some of the country's authorities are feeling dejected too. As the article laid out, overworked and underpaid, there are many unhappy police in this police state, as one of them complained. What really gets me, he says, are the long hours and lack of sleep. People don't understand what we do and often think we're out to get them. The pressure is huge. The article cited a recent study suggesting widespread disgruntlement. Heavy caseloads, administrative drudgery and low pay are constant grievances. And the cases are often a far cry from what you might expect. Police are supposed to respond to every request. In party speak, they are the people's police. One who worked in a rural part of Hunan province in the south says he has looked for stray cows in the middle of the night and helped people who had forgotten their online passwords. Morale's not been too high in the markets post-Brexit either. And this week in our Money Talks podcast, we analysed the recent precipitous drop in the value of sterling. Here's Philip Coggan, our Buttonwood columnist, explaining how chit-chat surrounding Brexit may have led to the flash crash. There were some comments from uh, Francois Hollande, the French president, saying that uh, he thought hard Brexit would happen and that, that the French would take a tough line. It's hard to be Absolutely sure, but there certainly some of these algorithms use headlines on social media, Twitter, Facebook, wire services as the basis for their trade. So it may be that a sudden flurry of news about that caused one programme to start selling. And as I say, you, you get a ripple effect. Money Talks, our weekly show on finance, business and economics, is available to download each Tuesday. And you can, of course, explore more of our coverage in the print issue. Leaving aside talk of market volatility, we head to our business section where an article explored how advertisers have been capitalising on the digitally heightened popularity of celebrities. Social media endorsements have become the latest fad and regulators are struggling to keep up. Since January, more than 200,000 posts per month on Instagram, a picture-sharing app owned by Facebook, have been tagged with hashtag ad hashtag SP or hashtag sponsored. Companies are throwing their money into digital culture and at big personalities. Hiring influencers, as they are known, connects brands to a vast network of potential customers. Kim Kardashian West, a reality TV star, for example, reaches 160 million people across Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Advertisers don't need to worry about truthful engagement with customers as the influencers do it anyway. Paul Pogba, who became the world's most expensive footballer when he joined Manchester United, often shares videos of himself and friends practising dance routines at home, 
which all translates into valuable social media exposure for Adidas, his sponsor. Some companies are clear about what they're up to, but not all posts are clearly labelled as advertisements, and regulators are gradually stepping into action. This summer, America's Federal Trade Commission, or FTC, successfully pursued Warner Brothers, a film studio, for failing adequately to disclose that it paid online influencers to give computer games rave reviews. The firm settled its case. The FTC plans to bring more. As the watchful eyes of regulators descend upon online advertisers, in our science coverage this week, we explored the curious relationship between gays and social class. A recent theory suggests that the more rungs people climb up the social ladder, the less empathy they feel towards others. But one study has added another intriguing angle. It seems it might just be a matter of attention. Here's science correspondent Matt Kaplan on our science podcast, Babbage. They ran this final bit of the experiment where they presented people with an array of images. The images included faces, sometimes mundane objects like a potted plant, sometimes clothes. And the people in the study had to look at the images presented to them one after the other and detect if anything had changed. The arrays of images were sometimes totally identical, and sometimes there was one thing that was different. And it was astonishing. People who were in the upper classes were less capable of noticing that a face was missing than those who were in the lower classes. So that was what led the researchers to suspect, well, wait a minute, it's not that the people in the upper classes are a quicker study, because there's nothing to study on an array of images. They're just not taking as much notice of other faces. And to find out why that's the case, you can listen to more on this week's Babbage. All eyes on the stage for our next taste of the issue. In our Books and Arts section, we headed to the bright lights on Broadway and reviewed a new show taking an existential journey into the Amazon. For a couple of hours each night, a modest stage with little more than a desk, some water bottles and a funny-looking microphone is transformed into a humid Amazonian forest. Leaves crunch, crickets chirp, birds trill and mosquitoes buzz right into your ears. An impressive feat of alchemy in what we described as a strange and often mesmerising trip into the Amazon basin, which uses the story of one man's interactions with an elusive tribe to raise all sorts of questions about the nature of consciousness, the tyranny of time, the power of stories and the mutability of reality. Just a light dramatic checklist there then. The play, The Encounter, is an immersive dive into the rainforest. The layered soundscape of the jungle is piped through headphones worn by every member of the audience, with separate sounds transmitted into each ear, courtesy of a binaural microphone on stage, which looks rather like an Easter Island head. The effect is as unsettling as it is transporting. And indeed, the director achieved what he was looking for. A profound sense of solitude while sitting among a large group of people. Much like sitting on the London Tube, I suppose. Our final taste of this week's coverage comes from our obituary section, which bade farewell to a well-known starlet of radio. No, I'm not off yet. Her role was to dishearten the enemy in the darkness of the Vietnam War. The woman American GIs dubbed Hanoi Hannah. As they cleaned their rifles, smoked herbs and broke out a beer or two, their precious radios strapped up for protection with ragged black tape, crackled with tones that might have been those of a perky high school cheerleader. How are you, G.I. Joe? asked the sweet-sounding girl, of men to whom any girl would have sounded sweet. Yet her dulcet voice delivered demoralising words. 
The range of her knowledge was disturbing. She announced exactly where units were, and though troops cheered when she mentioned them, they were chilled to be tracked down. Behind the malice, though, was just a girl, innocently following orders. Of course, she was not omnipotent at all, just a petite, smiling, lively young woman who translated and then read faithfully, in faultless American English, the scripts she was given. A language which, in her later years, she no longer needed. She had no animus against Americans. Her English, however, was getting rusty and needed the lubricant of speaking it. So she was happy to say, laughing, let bygones be bygones, as often as she was asked. And I'm Anne McElvoy, letting our tasting menu this week be a bygone. Do send us your feedback via email to radio at economist.com or you can tweet us at Economist Radio. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist.